The uncertainty that preceded Wednesday's prospective planting report was rewarded with an acre estimate that no one expected. What's going on with all the missing acres? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. March's Dynamite Perspective Planting Report dropped Wednesday, March 31st, and markets responded with surprise and anxiety to a shock of low acres. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to break down those market reactions and to help shed some light on why the USDA or producers themselves, might be underestimating about planting in the year to come. We'll take a closer look at corn, soybean, and wheat plantings, discuss what might explain the absence of several million acres in the report, and dig deeper on what all this might mean in the face of possible bad weather and uncertain demand from China, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman is still working through the fallout today from a prospective planting report that shook U.S. agriculture earlier this week. Todd, what did you think was going to happen going into this prospective planting report? (laughs) You know, uh, after many, many years of USDA reports, I'm still kind of naive, to be honest. (laughs) And I I always hope for the best. And I I hope that, you know, they'll come up with reasonable estimates that uh, will at least put us in the ballpark of uh, having a good discussion about where markets are at. Um, and but yet they never cease to surprise. I'm a little like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football and getting it pulled away. And uh, so it got pulled away again here on uh, Wednesday. And, and as I said, my head's spinning a little bit trying to uh, figure out what this means going forward. Yeah. So give us. I, yeah, I think we were all I mean, certainly the markets were shocked. I think all of us were kind of su- for sure surprised to see what came out of this report. Give us kind of the top line readout. What what were the big takeaways? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, the thing I missed, I should have set it up by saying that prices are so high. We're near six and seven year highs in spot prices of corn and beans that it seemed like a slam dunk that uh, planting intentions would be maximized this year, that everyone would be trying to plant as much uh, as they possibly could. And so that's why we had uh, higher estimates. But uh, here comes USDA. They said corn acres, 91.1 million. That was about 2 million less than the average guess from Dow Jones survey, and which I thought was a reasonable guess uh, from Dow Jones. 
Soybeans, they said 87.6 million acres. Uh, Sarah, that's not even enough to keep our supplies even going into the new season. Uh, that That's uh, not enough to meet the demand that we expect in the year ahead. And then they uh, said a little increase in the all wheat acres to 46.4 million. So uh, that, that was a bit of a stun. And uh, markets likewise, uh, corn and beans both closed up limit here on Wednesday. It's tell me what you think. What were your first thoughts when you saw that? What what is happening at USDA? <laughs> well, you know, I I always wonder. Do they know something we don't? Uh, did they uh, get some information that gives them the inside track? I mean, they did put out almost eighty thousand producer surveys, so it's hard to be too dismissive. But I know from March planning estimates of years past that it hasn't always been an accurate survey. And as I often remind myself, uh, you know, every year at New Year's, I make intentions, but they don't always get carried out. So I think we all know that the best of intentions don't always get executed uh, the way we'd like to plan them. So I kind of think of this report as a, it's almost like a poll, like one month before a national election, you know, a lot can change in the month. Uh, up till you get to the actual vote. And the same thing is true here. A lot can change in the month up to the time that we actually get going with planting and see what the weather and conditions are like and uh, what actually gets done. So uh, I, I'm unfortunately, I think the market is going to take these numbers seriously for three months. Well, good or bad, right or wrong. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to be reminding people that these are not etched in stone and the numbers that we see in June could be quite different. So you are expecting that these numbers are low? Yes, um, just simply because of the intentions. If you look at the three crop total for corn, beans and wheat, it came out to roughly 225 million acres. Now, the most we've seen planted for the three crops uh, in recent times was 2014, we got up to 231 million acres. So, uh, the, you know, the question in my mind is, uh, isn't there room for at least five or six million acres more um, in this report? And that's what I think a lot of us were counting on uh, doing the math ahead of Wednesday. And I, I still think that's a feasible argument and number to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of talk about kind of the missing acres and that there there obviously is time for, for producers to change their mind for, you know, folks to to reevaluate those figures that maybe they told the USDA. Is there something else that could be happening here? Are, do you have any kind of like wild card possibilities that you're playing with? <laughs> well, uh, you know, we, we do hear about uh, uh, losing farm acres every year to suburbanization and and things like that, but that's kind of, that's usually kind of a glacial process. I don't think that would cost us six million acres right away. And then I have to wonder, well, you know, is there going to be prevented acres somewhere that we're not expecting? And really, I think the opposite because it's so dry in the northwestern plains, and most of our prevented acres last year were in the Dakotas. I think a lot of those acres, and and this report actually bears it out that a lot of those acres will be back in production. Um, so I, I'm scratching my head like a lot of people. I have to ask because I think a mystery bears exploring all the possibilities, but you know, I, we've heard a lot of talk, especially I think in the last couple of years about producers, um, you know, being 
questioning USDA's, um, you know, ability to put out accurate reports and, and, you know, talk of manipulation of the markets. I'm curious whether, you know, could that be affecting the way that people are responding to the surveys? Well, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And I was actually wondering about that last night myself and, you know, uh, human nature, we all tend to shade things in our self-interest when we tell a story. And so it would not surprise me if when uh, we're filling out planning intentions report that we shade it a little low, knowing that it's not in our best interest to fill out high numbers on this report and and uh, then have a bearish scenario going into the year like we did uh, last year. So that is a possibility. I will say the history of USDA's report is that it's overestimated and underestimated this report roughly half of the time. So it doesn't show a history of bias that way. But uh, I, I think that is a good, good consideration point that you're raising here. I want to talk a little bit, too, about what that means. You know, given the possibility that there are, you know, up to five or six million acres out there that are, you know, there's at least a question mark around them. Uh, it, but as you said, the market's going to take these numbers seriously for at least a couple of months. Uh, what will that mean later in the season if, you know, these these mystery acres come back online and, and the market has to figure out how to re, reshuffle the prices? What do you think that'll look like come midseason? Yes. So, uh, well, uh, the, the good news is for growers in the short term is that we got a nice jump in the new crop price. So there is a, a forward pricing opportunity here um, it, that... I'm probably more excited about in corn than beans because the bean supply situation is so short that I just see no reason to be in a rush to, to forward price soybeans in this environment. But in the case of corn, uh, you know, we could quite soon see that new crop price up near $5. And if you're in an area that is not as threatened by drought as say other parts of the Western Corn Belt are, or if you have irrigated fields, uh, it, that's that's a pretty enticing uh, opportunity to be able to sell uh, five dollar corn forward on a new crop price. So that that's the good news in the short run. The uh, tough thing is is that the seasonality and history of corn and bean prices uh, both have a tendency to turn lower uh, after the end of May for corn and after the end of June for soybeans. So. When you get to that acreage report on June 30th, if USDA does come in with a higher number at that point, that often triggers uh, selling in the market for a lot of reasons, provided the weather is in decent shape. And uh, this would uh, obviously uh, be a pretty strong reason to send markets lower if, if indeed we did have those extra acres show up on June 30th. Yeah, I want to talk. I want to dig into the the, crop, the specific crops a little bit as well, and talk about you know, assuming there is, we're just going to assume that there's you know at least five million acres out there because it seems insane that there's not. Um, you know, I, as you said, you know, the, the market for soybeans is just so tight right now. Even if all of those acres went to soybeans, would that make a difference to the price? Um, yes, uh, I, I look at 90 million acres as roughly the break even for soybeans with the demand that we're expecting. Um, so if uh, 88, so if we were 92 or 93, that would help give us a little more comfortable margin 
Now, we haven't even talked about the possibility of adverse weather yet. So, <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's kind of a, a different dimension that has to be added on here. But even before we start talking about weather concerns, just having the possibility to get enough soybeans produced to meet demand, uh, I think, is goal number one. Yeah. And then looking at, you know, if assuming there's a possibility that, that those acres could be pretty well split between corn and soybeans, um, you know, or I don't know, maybe that's the the question I'm trying to ask is, do you, if there is some mysterious number of acres out there that is likely to get pulled into production that wasn't reported in uh, this report, do you expect that to be split pretty evenly between corn and soybeans? Or would you expect it to um, go f further in one direction than the other? Well, I think in my ideal world, I would like to see uh, closer to an even split of corn and beans, but that's my personal problem. Uh, in, in, in real life here in USA, corn has uh, a, a definite preference uh, among U.S. farmers, and I think commitments to ethanol and also feeding cattle has a lot to do with the preference for corn and um, sometimes just maybe more of a comfort level with corn. But there is some uh, drawback sometimes too. It has a higher fertilizer cost and we know fertilizer prices have been rising. And uh, in the case of soybeans, sometimes they do a little better in drier weather situations. And we certainly may have that in the Western Corn Belt. So I, I think the corn advantage uh, maintains a small margin over soybeans this year, no matter how the acres uh, turn out, but uh, th at least they're getting closer to 50-50. Well, I mean, let's let's tackle that weather question. As you watch, you know, you you've mentioned some dryness uh, in the Northwest. You know, I think we're all very nervous about uh, <laughs> the the spring planting weather, and then you know, the middle of the season for across all the crops, really. But um, you know, as you is weather your your biggest concern at this point, or are you more concerned about decision making among producers? Well, I. I... I would say weather uh, is obviously uh, the big concern followed closely by demand from China. And um, the uncertainty of both of those factors is very high and out of our control. And uh, that's what makes it very difficult, I think, to outguess. And uh, that's one reason I wouldn't want to commit too much to forward sales moving forward. Um, it's just that, you know, when you have $5 corn, it's hard to pass up some kind of opportunity on your production. But uh, there, I think there's a lot of uncertainty into this new 2021 season. And uh, for that reason, it, it's going to be hard to, to commit to making uh, too many promises looking forward. Well, I'm curious too, you know, for growers who are listening to this and who are looking at this report and trying to figure out whether, you know, what they're hearing from other producers should be affecting their planting decisions. How would you, you know, if you were making some planting decisions in the next next few weeks, how would you look at this report as as a way to inform, you know, if you could switch out a few, you know, some small percentage of your acres between crops? Would you do it? Well, I, I definitely think it makes a very strong case for the soybean price. Uh, you know, just just the fact that we can't sit down here right now and pencil in some kind of a surplus or that we're even going to uh, come close to meeting our demand needs in the season ahead says a lot. It really says all I think anyone probably should need to know 
uh, about uh, what could happen to prices this summer. So uh, that's that's my primary preference here. And to be honest, soybean demand has been the more consistent star performer throughout the years. That's it's uh, just the way the trends of the world are working. It's uh, soybeans that the world really needs, and uh, that seems to be the the uh, the crop that continues to be in short supply time and time again. Yeah, and we talk about this all the time. We just talked about it two weeks ago, but I have to check in. Anything you know, demand from China is such a big driver of the the whole market at this point. Any signs of weakening that you're watching there, or uh, you know, does it seem like? up up and up we go. Yes, no. Well, that was actually part of the setup for the limit up close that we saw on Wednesday was that uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday, we saw China's corn price fall to a new three-month low. Now, that's the first sign of weakness we've seen in many, many months, really since this whole rally began uh, early last year. So at last, it looks like China's large corn purchases from the U.S. are starting to have some impact in bringing down the domestic price at home. That doesn't mean their demand needs are met or that they're they're set for the whole year ahead, but it is the first sign of them getting a little more comfortable uh, with their supplies at home. And then we saw the same thing Wednesday morning with the soybean price. It also fell to a new low uh, in China, a new three-month low. And uh, so in terms of demand, uh, both of those um, uh, crop needs seem to be easing right now uh, in China. But uh, as, as I say, we've got a long year ahead of us. Yeah. So I want to know what, as you, assuming that there's going to be some changes, you know, as you said, nothing about this report is set in stone. What are the next big kind of data points that you're going to be looking out for that might suggest, um, you know, some some updates to these numbers? Well, uh, you know, as far as planning, it's it's going to be very difficult other than looking at the weather and seeing what's possible and hearing how the planning progress is going. Uh, but uh, other than that, it's going to be very difficult to get kind of a second opinion on those planning acres until June 30th. And that's what makes uh, Wednesday's report uh, so difficult in, in that regard. Uh, as far as supplies, we can, uh, uh, and, and I don't think we've even talked about the stocks numbers yet, but uh, the, the uh, pr- rich premium that we see in the May corn contract over July continues to suggest very strong internal demand for corn. And we're seeing the national basis uh, just continue to strengthen uh, now within 10 cents of the futures board, according to our DTN National Corn Index uh, of cash corn prices. So uh, the, the internal market clues for corn demand are uh, as strong as they've been in a long time. And that continues to be a very supportive insight for markets. Yeah, I'm so curious about what is happening there. You know, in terms, we know the big factors that are driving soybeans and and that soybeans are kind of driving the the rest of the market, but are there other factors that you think are, are really motivating that demand within the U.S. for corn? Well, you know, I think overall, uh, as I've obviously had a lot of time to think about where did this demand from China come from and what's happening, I I think the two and a half year trade war uh, really kind of set this all up in the sense that I think for that period of time, China was uh, going along trying to get by with as little from the U.S. as they possibly could. They were 
very aggressive buyers from Brazil. The purchase amounts they made from of corn and beans uh, in the U.S. they kept uh, to I think the smallest amount they could to sneak by, and I think the process of that over two and a half years finally caught up to them because the bottom line is they simply don't have enough farmland to meet their own uh, crop needs. And uh, so we, we know that they're in a, a perpetual state of needing to rely on others to produce the corn and beans for them. And those demand needs have only increased uh, the past few years and are gonna continue to increase. This, this story isn't over yet. China is not gonna quit growing. There's not uh, going to be less people there five years from now than there is now. Uh, these these demand trends remain very strong with China, and they simply don't have the ability to produce it all themselves. I think I just have one last question, which relates to, you know, you mentioned you're going to be keeping a close eye on kind of plant 2021, uh, you know, feedback from the field. Um Obviously, COVID's still going on. Traveling is a bit of a challenge still for a lot of folks. Any recommendations on how to, you know, how to keep an eye on that across the country when probably a lot of folks still aren't able to actually get out and drive around and and see what's happening? Yeah, well, I think it's encouraging that uh, the uh, private jobs report from ADP yesterday showed their biggest monthly gain in six months. I think that was very encouraging. We also saw uh, an energy department report on Wednesday which showed gasoline demand down just 3% from a year ago. So uh, it, it does appear to me that in spite of this new wave of increasing risk that we're hearing about, uh, people are getting more active, the economy's coming back. And uh, as more and more of us get our vaccine shots, I think uh, that is just gonna help that trend. So it, it does seem to be on the upswing still overall. Yeah. Um, do you anticipate people being able to, you know, do some planting tours or or maybe at least a little bit later, uh, you know, mid-season or harvest tours to go around and see, you know, with their own eyes after a year of not doing that, maybe go to some farm shows? Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have some farm shows uh, by late summer and into the fall. Uh, I, I still think there's a good possibility for that. And uh, I think it's helped that, you know, these are outdoor events for the most part. So uh, looking forward to that. And I, I, boy, <laughs> we've, we've missed being out there. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com.